Welcome back, you wonderful people who matter so very, very much. I'm W.S. Walker, and this is the Laughing Matters Podcast. Now, towards the end of the last episode, I proposed a toast to you. And I'm going to do the same thing again today, and hold off a minute on pausing the show and getting something to toast with me. But a toast regarding whatever it is that's going on with you at the moment. Whatever the most prevalent issue in your life is right this very second. Whatever it is that your mind keeps getting drawn towards and is currently bringing the most stress to the table. Well, I'm, I'm not going to solve it for you. That's not what this toast is about. I can't solve it for you. Each problem has their own individual nuanced right answer solution. But I can offer some tools for dismantling it to find the right answer to it. The answer that puts the most good out in the world. You just have to remember to use those tools when you need them. You have to remember that these tools exist when you need them. That's your end of the deal. But for just a second here, I want to be one human being that you apparently like listening to, telling you that I'm hopeful for you, that I'm rooting for you, that I believe you have it in you, and that ultimately you've got this if you want this, that I believe you will choose to do good by them. And hey, if you need any advice on how to use these tools, some of my book in action, so to speak, reach out and send me a message. I'll put my contact details in the description of the episode. I have information and understandings that you won't hear anywhere else, and advice has been a superpower of mine. I'm good at a broad spectrum of stuff, but I call the stuff that I'm really great at my superpowers. But enough tooting my own horn. More importantly than my help, God's got this. If you let him. You know, not choosing the right solution and electing not to do the right thing usually results from avoiding personal discomfort or because doing the right thing would act against whatever preference that people have set for themselves. So here's a toast to letting God lead for all the reasons that I've previously laid out so go ahead and grab a glass but don't fill it up yet because I've got a unique suggestion for this toast what's two things you've heard superstition wise about toasting someone you never toast with an empty glass that's one and that makes sense to me you know it parallels too close to making an empty statement of agreement, to going through the pageantry and motions of supporting what's being toasted, but with no actual content or belief in it. So that makes sense to me. That's easy to see why someone would nudge you and be like, hey, man, don't don't do that. But the other superstition that immediately springs to mind is, you never toast with water. Well, why is that? The super short version of the history of it is the ancient Greeks thought that offering water to the gods would be considered too bland and would anger the gods. They also thought it was reminiscent of the dead drinking the water from the river Styx, 
which is something the dead did because it took away their memories of the life they lived. So that's where the superstition comes from. And I'd like to address both of these. Firstly, when I sit on my porch and I talk to God, I like to have a glass of water with me. It's kind of similar to having a beer with a friend or a parent. And yes, I toast God with it as well, even if it's a simple, friendly cheers. So why water? Well, I feel more interconnected with God when I drink water. I mean, it's one of the purest and most necessary ingredients to life. It's good for you pretty much every time you imbibe it, and the only components that are more immediately necessary are air and temperate climate. And if I filled up my glass with room temperature air, well, I, I already stated why I kind of agree with the not toasting with an empty cup tradition. Having a glass of water with God? <laughs> it's the closest that I can get to filling my glass with pure life. So while taking some notes for this episode, I played a hunch and I looked up how many times the word water appears in various religious texts. In the Holy Quran, 63 times. That's about once every 10 pages or so. The Torah? I could not find a count. But likening the Torah itself to water is described as a staple in rabbinic writing. So that's a pretty good sign, right? In the Tripitaka, which is the sacred text of Buddhism, the highest level of nirvana is likened to the merging of a droplet of water to the sea. And I'll read the next bit from the research collection directly. In Buddhism, water symbolizes life, the purest form of food, and water is the particular element which in nature carries everything together. Water symbolizes purity, clarity, and calmness, and reminds us to cleanse our minds and attain the state of purity. Okay, so we're banging out all cylinders so far. But the Bible is a whole different matter. Water is mentioned a total of 722 times, which is a lot more often than the word hope, which is pretty cool, uh, prayer, which is a big one, worship, and, and this one shocked me, faith, which appears about 336 to 458 times, depending on the translation version. It literally appears roughly twice as often as the word faith. So this to me seems like it's the action of raising a glass of some of the most important stuff on earth. Stuff that acts in similar ways to the highest level of nirvana, the Torah, and the Holy Spirit itself. And I believe God probably recognizes the symbolic gesture there. And if he minds me doing it, well, he's given me the opposite reaction impressions. We'll leave it at that. So all of that aside, let's just consider Amoto's water experiments. 
in which he took different jars of water, played different types of music for them, spoke to them with different tones. Some were told, you disgust me, while others were told that they were loved. And then he froze them and took photos through a microscope of the crystallized structures that were formed at the top. He also took some water from a badly polluted dam and photographed the freezing crystallizations before and after a Buddhist monk prayed over it. I highly, highly recommend looking up this guy's photography on these. Uh, it's Emoto. E is an Echo, M is a Mike, O is an October, T is in Tango, O is an October. Just look up Emoto Water. Because, you see, those that were subjected to beautiful music or phrases or words that were positive in nature, when frozen, they produced beautiful, simple, but also complex structures with radial symmetry. And the jars subjected to negative, hateful phrases and music were not symmetrical and were rather ugly and unappealing to look at. The photos of the dam water looked deadly and sickening. But once the water was prayed over, it produced the most beautiful but complex crystalline structure of all of them. Now, okay, it's true that scientists had a field day with pointing out that the photos could have been cherry-picked and decided from hundreds of photos allowing the outcome to be swayed. But as someone who has dealt with photographing microscopic details that are not pressed on a slide, I can tell you that it is enormously difficult to get a picture of anything given the extreme shallowness of depth of field. If you've ever seen this type of photography before, you'll notice that everything but part of the photograph is out of focus. And that's before accounting for lens fogging and freezing temperatures, which is a nightmare. Now, there was a scientist out there that undertook replicating the results in a controlled environment and following the strict protocols demanded in order to produce scientifically sound evidence. But he had to take hundreds of photographs in order to capture just a few in-focus ones. Now, he attempted to overcome this issue of cherry-picking these photos to represent each result by posting them all online and asking people to rate the beauty of what was in each photo, and then plotted each jar's results on a graph to compare. Now sadly, with hundreds of out-of-focus photos in the mix, the results were inconclusive. But don't fret, because luckily, Literally hundreds of people out there have taken it upon themselves to perform Emoto's rice experiment. And it's very simple. You can do it at home. What you do is you get three mason jars and fill them halfway up with white rice. And then fill the rest of each jar with clean water from the same source. And then you screw down or latch down airtight lids. You take them and place them in three different locations, but with similar temperature and sun exposure conditions. The only thing that should be different from each jar is how you treat each jar. 
With the first jar, you make nothing but loving statements, telling it how proud you are of it, how happy it makes you. Compliment it, and always make a point to acknowledge it with a smile. Be that jar's loving support and hype man at least once a day. The second jar, you yell at or put down or telling it how much you hate it or how ugly it is and how much of a waste it is or how you never should have assembled the rice jar on water to make such an idiotic thing. Really lay into it at least once a day. And the third jar, make a point to never look at it or acknowledge. If you do look at it, Avert your gaze quickly and forget about it as quickly as you can. Do not acknowledge this jar at all. This jar is the control of the experiment and shows what happens to the rice without any involvement, just nature taking its course. You see, just like Komodo did, those hundreds of people performed these actions and interactions with the jars for 30 days straight and then opened the jars. The love jar of rice most often looks very regular, uniform white, and smells okay, if not sweet. Our untouched control jar still grows mold, sometimes greenish, sometimes yellowish, and sometimes with speckles of black. When opened, most report an unpleasant smell. But the hated jar always rots straight black down the middle, and its smell is absolutely putrid. So not only does water react to hate in a very, very ugly way, feeding it kindness, love, and other positive emotions preserves it, makes it better, and restores. Just like us. Interesting. Why do I bring this up? All I'm saying is that there is far more to water than just a boring, colorless, tasteless drink. Someone recently pointed out to me that the flavor of water is the temperature at which it's served, which I found weirdly accurate. So... I hope this addresses the superstition that it would anger the gods for being bland. It's pretty much the most interesting, communicative liquid there is. Now, as to the parallel drawn to drinking waters from the river Styx, all I have to say is, which liquid is more likely to impede your memory and has more of a chance of you ending up in the river sticks early? Water or alcohol? Come on, y'all. So that said, pause the show and fill up a glass. And let's toast. Alright, glasses up. God, thank you for all of this for helping where you've helped. Please help us to find those solutions and to help us know which one is not just best for me, but best for all of them. It's impossible for us to know outright with certainty what the best decisions are because 
we can't know all of their consequences, and right now, I have stuff going on that I am not certain what I'm going to do about it. So please navigate for this blind pilot. And here's to you, you wonderful creator that matters so very, very much. Cheers. And remember, going outside, taking off your glasses, and having a drink of water with God, that's something you can do nearly any time. You can ask his advice on any subject, have a chat, pretty much whenever you feel like doing so. So why aren't you talking to God all the time? That's a question I ask to you, but also to me. And distractions would be my inherent answer to that. There are so many of them that fill my day, and what time I do have away from work is actively searching for something to fill it. But entertainment offers a very one-sided deal. You don't have to do much or anything at all to spend an entire day entertaining your mind one way or another. It's kind of pure gimme in that way. Except it does cost something. Something we'd rather not think about. It costs you time, which is taken from a container that you cannot ever know how far it is from empty. So I'm just saying, finding a quiet spot to sit outside with a glass of water can go a long way towards reducing potential distractions. Talking to God about your problems, I mean, outside of Him helping you, just talking to Him can help tremendously. Because there's this really interesting thing that happens when we're dealing with a source of stress and thinking about it. The brain when something is bothering us, has this weird tendency to act like our vision. Now, before in the book, I'd talked about how we take in new information, and we tend to discard any new information that is baseline, unchanged, or predictable. Like looking out at your backyard and not taking in every blade of grass. Instead, you just scan for anything new or out of place. Well, our vision, when you first look at something works a lot like a mind toiling over conflict. When you're taking in a new site, you don't just look at the whole thing at once and take in all the information as one completely in focus picture. Instead, if you watch someone's eyes as they look at something for the first time, their eyes dart all around it, piecing together a mental understanding and forming a picture of said new thing. So I want you to try something here. I want you to close your eyes without thinking about it. Right away, just do it. Close them. Unless you're driving, do not close them if you are driving and listening to the podcast. But otherwise, shut them. When you open them again, not yet, but when you do, I want you to try to notice the first places your eyes go to and piecing together the environment that you're in. Go ahead and open them. 
You see, the eye darts around all over, but it always starts with whatever it is that has the most contrast to the rest, whatever it is that stands out the most. And then it starts to look at the other parts that stand out. The thing that stands out the most always comes back to that. And when you're thinking about something that you're stressing over, that's causing you mental anguish, your brain does the same thing. It keeps coming back to that biggest hurt or that biggest conflicting piece of information, the thing you do not understand about the situation or the thing that is hurting you the most. And it bats against it like a moth against a light bulb. And it may examine other information, but it keeps coming back to that. And when you talk about something, when you express the situation that you're in, when you tell someone else about what you're going through, because they aren't you, they're not working from your quote-unquote file cabinet, you have to lay it out for them in a chronological order. You have to organize it to put it out. And in doing that, just in talking about it, you are putting things together in an A to B to C to D fashion instead of A to B to A to C to A to D to A to A to A to A to C, A to D, A to B, maybe some A to B, 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 A, 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 Y, A. Instead, you think about it in a way that makes sense. You actively make a productive step towards making sense of it. Have you ever noticed when you go to a friend with a problem and you start telling them about it, half the time you make it halfway through, you already know what it is that you need to do about it. You may not want to face that that's the case, but you typically kind of figure it out as you talk about it. Talking to God is great for that. He's not going to tell anybody, by the way. You can trust him. I'd say give it a think, but give it a talk and grab you a glass of water. Now, this is kind of a weird episode if, if you're new to the show. But if you are, in fact, new to the show, welcome. Firsters and seconders will back me up and tell you, that you do, you need to go back and you need to listen to the book, which is season one of the podcast. Uh, it starts at preface and ends at chapter 10, the strings. So go back and listen to that before progressing, or you are going to miss out on a lot of context on what's going on with the new episodes. You can listen to the episode before this one, episode 17, if you want to skip the preface. But go ahead, stop here, listen to the book, and we'll see you in like a week or so. But oh, before you go, good luck. You know, you don't know. Good luck. You very well may not want to think about or examine as closely as we do in the book, but I think you'll also see why it's so important that we do. So the rest of you, be good to them, be good for them, and you're going to be phenomenal.
This is W.S. Walker signing off. Be sweet.